<laughs> Nothing's going your way. You've had a bad day. It's good to keep it simple. Michelle and Seth say take a deep breath from fade to gray. It's mental. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another installment of Mental. I know, I know. You're excited. We're your favorite podcast. It's good. We know. You know it. We know <laughs> it. You know it. Uh, I am sitting here, of course, with my wonderful co-host, Seth Showalter. Say hi, Seth. Hello there. So we are back again. Last week, we introduced the subject of deconstruction. I believe we argued a little over whether it needed to be just religious in nature or if it could be bigger than that. Yes, we did. What was our outcome on that? I don't know. I still contend it's much bigger. Well, I'm still confused because you contend that it is bigger than religious deconstruction. And yet, when we talk about all of these issues, it's always in relationship through religion. And, and you kind of talked about how, you know, religion seeps into every, uh, you know, every corner of our life. Right. Really, it's, you know, you can't really divide religion or faith. Those two things right. are different, but you know what I'm talking about here. You know, you can't really divide that from personhood because your relationship with Jesus is all defining, sure. right? That's isn't it, if isn't you it have we a are background. children of God? Yes, and that's if you have a background with God or Christianity in some form or fashion, because not everybody does, but that doesn't mean that you can't still go through this process that we're discussing. Right. I mean, okay. for a lot of people, let's think about some of the different terminology that gets thrown around with regard to maybe this process. One of them, of course, and I struggled with this is, is this actually a midlife crisis? You know, I'm at that age. Is it possible that I'm just, you know, wondering what the reality or the meaning of my life has been? Uh, but it was much bigger than that for me. And of course, it did go through re my religion because that was so much a part of me. But mm -hmm. I think lots of people struggle with those kind of questions and thoughts outside of religion. So that's why I'm I'm adamant that it can be a much bigger process than just a religious subject matter. Okay. So then since deconstruction, by definition, looking at its origin, mm -hmm. is all about unity of text. Yes. When you say deconstruction for the non-religious, what does that look like? See, I, I again, we have... Not, not you and I as the we, but the collective we have created this term or we've associated this very real term now with a process. So it's become a buzzword, right? In yes. Christian circles, deconstruction has become a buzzword that specifically speaks to the idea of tearing down your religious belief systems. When mm -hmm. in reality, what we're saying is deconstruction, as you mentioned, the original term is deals with the unity of text and making sure that we're discussing things from the same perspective or the same definition. Right. We question lots of things in life. So to me, so it's that's what it means. It's questioning. It's, so it's, it's questioning. Yeah. It's, we just, we, I want a word for it. You yeah, know? that so, works. So we're talking about deconstruction in general means questioning. I always kind of viewed it as changing your mind. Okay. That, well, I think that's a part of questioning, though. I mean, I don't know that you question and, not, and don't ever change your mind. I think that that would be hardly worth the time. <laughs> You're right. not right on everything. I mean, just get over yourself. 
I, whatever. I didn't mean you personally. I know. I know you didn't, but I, I took it there. All right. But so, before we get into all this mess, you're going to give me a mental minute. Oh. Oh, his whole face just fell. You it, it, his it, whole face just dropped. It did, it, it did fall. Because, okay, so I don't want to sound in every time we do this mm-hmm. like I am chaotic, mentally ill, dramatic, unstable, you know, office kilter, needs help. Let's get an interventionist. <laughs> Let's get everybody in here. Why is this guy hosting a podcast on mental right. health issues? I, I mean, like, I come on. It. You know, so to some level, I, I just, I don't want to be dramatic in, in sharing this, but this has been a little bit of a challenging week for me right. in that I am teaching a curriculum that I was actually, I never have done myself. And it's actually very easy, okay? So (laughs) it's not hard. And I'm actually good at it. But I've been in this place where I haven't had the self-confidence. And then like when I would try to play out what I would actually do in this training, it was like writer's block. I was hitting this brick wall. I get that, yeah. And that's kind of where I've been um, like Tuesday and Wednesday. And it really brought out imposter syndrome, right? Because it was, I'm not capable of this. Maybe I'm not good for this job, which I've thought many times. And really, it's just my self-confidence issues. And the fact that you kind of have to fake it till you make it, right? (laughs) And I don't like that. It's not enjoyable. Now, once I do it and I get better at it and I know what I'm doing and I kind of know the process, I feel much better. But that right. first time in teaching any new curriculum, it's it's kind of stressful. So that's where I've been this week, just feeling a lot of anxiety. Um, however, I did teach all day Thursday and all day today. And today was the hard day. And I think it I, I don't think it went horribly. So a lot of my fears were irrational and I recognize <laughs> this. I'm going to call okay. that out. All right. I have irrational thoughts that are not based in reality. And I sometimes allow that to, to kind of take over. And, and even if I know they're irrational, sometimes I have difficulty not letting it take over. Uh, yeah. And, and I'm, I'm coming out of normal. it. I mean, we all yeah, I, I think it is too. I think it is normal, but it's not enjoyable. No, so, not at all. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you just I start still, spinning off into Neverland with your thoughts. Right. I still want to vent about it a little bit, you know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's where I'm at. Okay. How about you? Uh, it's been a pretty typical week, um, other than still living in an empty house. But I'm so excited. We're getting closer. I know because Monday's almost here. <laughs> That means my stuff will be here. (laughs) I'm so excited that I get to put my house back together and I'll have Mm -hmm. internet again and all that fun stuff. So, yeah, I'm totally on board with you, though. Now I'm super self-conscious about what I say in my mental minute because I'm worried that I'm always going to sound like you said, chaotic or I mean, that was the word that was used. So, yeah, that's, you know. That bothered me a little bit, so I know. Yeah. Well, let's. It is what do it you is. Wanna, do you want to talk about that? We can. I mean, sure. do should we should we go there? We can. I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot, but an open person, you know that we we all receive feedback in our lives, right? <laughs> right. 
both good and bad feedback. Right. And and critical feedback is hard to receive. And typically, if we do receive it, regardless of whether it's based in reality or not, at least for me, and I'm not suggesting anything that was said was based in reality. I'm talking general terms here. But I often get really defensive. Yeah, I, I think I do as well. That's my go-to response. And it, certainly, I was not in a good mood the day that I received that feedback. Um, so, and we can probably use that to introduce the subject of deconstruction when we go into it. Um, I would very much like to. Yes. Uh, so I had had a really bad morning already. And then of course I got that feedback. And so I was, I was angry. Mm -hmm. I was already angry. Uh, that just exacerbated what I was feeling. I literally, I think I was rude to you. I threw my phone down and said, what the fuck ever (laughs) I'm over it. I'm done for the day. That's it. <laughs> no, I know. And did you also notice that I kind of caught on to that? Yeah, I know you did. And didn't. We we didn't talk for a few days because yeah, I wanted to give you some ghosted distance. me. I didn't <laughs> ghost you. You didn't ever reach out to me. Okay, ghosting is when someone reaches out to you and you're like, leave him on red, right? That's ghosting. Oh, well, I, maybe I just have a different understanding. What's of your definition of ghosting? I don't know. It just felt like like you were gone. Like you were like not gone. interested in conversing anymore. So, oh. Or for those few days. So like I was worried I had offended you or whatnot. And you know, I usually come back and say, I'm sorry if, I, if I've offended you. I, I typically, because well, I can't live with the guilt of that. <laughs> right. I can't well, live I'm... with somebody being unhappy with me that I'm friends with. So. Well, I we're still friends. I know that. I, well, I wasn't co-hosts. mad. At, I wasn't angry at you at all. I was just angry. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, you were angry. I was. You don't seem that angry now. No, I mean, you take a few days. Well, like I said, the reaction was not so much with the feedback that I that we received. The, the reaction had more to do with the fact that I was already very, very upset. Uh, about another situation and it just that situation of course was what led me into or it didn't lead me into deconstruction it exacerbated the deconstruction it really pushed me off the ledge so to speak and so there's still a lot of emotion surrounding that anger of course which was obvious there's still also a lot of rejection issues there and so that feedback just played right into anger and rejection and and all of those things and it felt again like i was being told that i'm not i'm not good enough or i'm too something and mm. and so having had a few days to move past it and to get over that other thing this is really not that big of an issue because uh, no. i i can take constructive criticism i can take feedback i'm totally fine with it uh, it doesn't mean i agree with it but i can right. take it i think it was just that it was coupled with something that was very emotional for me Mm-hmm. So well, you you mentioned, and I'm I'm I was kind of going somewhere here. Okay, um, you mentioned that it just takes a couple days, right? Mm, most but, of the time. Uh, most okay. So is it time? Yeah, I I'm typically a personality that I don't hold a grudge. We are different there. I my know. <laughs> um, I know. I <laughs> know. I'm no. I tend to get over things very quickly. However, I will admit to this. I've been saying that for years and years and years, and for the most part, it's, it's true. But I also recognize that I say that even when I'm just swallowing emotion and saying, Oh, well, Oh, I'm over it. I'm fine. I'm, but I haven't, I've swallowed it. And 
typically, of course, that comes back. Right. I was going to say swallowing it. No, it's not healthy. It doesn't, it's not going to fix the issue. No. So actually. as it pertains to receiving criticism, I can be over that pretty quickly because the person that said it doesn't know me and I don't know them. Right. Um, I can take what they said and I can evaluate it and decide if there's merit to it or not. That's fine. Mm-hmm. And I can move on from the emotion of it. The other situation is a much bigger emotional situation for me. And for that, I did swallow my emotion and I have for the last seven years. So that is something that still comes back up whenever mm. it's put in front of me. Uh, that emotion happens that's all a, over. That's a pretty bold confession right now. It's Well, it's truth. I mean, that's... I mean, that's not anything I haven't said all along. I've recognized it for a long time. I just don't know how to quite move past it. Yeah. You well, know, I mean, the I fact trying. that you're owning the, the fact that you're owning that it's not just okay. So I'm gonna we're gonna pause here because <laughs> I want to have this conversation, but this is actually gonna lead directly right into our podcast, mm-hmm. um, which is excellent, and I'm very much excited about that. Okay. But I don't want to miss something before we move there. Okay. I just want to comment because we've kind of talked around this feedback that you received, but we haven't really explained oh, what, right. You're right. We have where it. the feedback came from, <laughs> what kind of feedback, because this is the thing. If you were listening to our show and there is something that we can do better, or you have feedback or suggestions or things you'd like us to talk about or critiques on what you think we could do better, we want to hear it. For or sure. At least yeah. I do. No, I so, do as well. I know you do. I, I'm not saying you don't. I, I mean, I know you do. And that's why I want this emphasized because I don't want it sounding like, oh, we received some negative feedback or I wouldn't even say negative, some critical I, feedback. Uh, yeah, Chris, it was critical. It wasn't negative. Right. And so I very much encourage that. And based upon this conversation, it should be pretty evident that we take your comments seriously and we listen to it. Um, I mean, we're having a whole discussion on feedback that we received recently, mm-hmm. and I just want to encourage anyone listening to know that you can, please feel free to join um, our Facebook group. Please feel oh, free to get sure, involved. Yeah. Comment on our posts. Let us know what you think. Um, we appreciate it. But sometimes sure words do. hurt. Yeah. Sometimes words hurt. And, or you, and they just okay catch you that. at a bad moment. <laughs> right. Timing is everything. And of course, the person that's provided that that comment or that perspective has no idea that their comment is hitting you at a bad moment. So. Correct. There's no way for that person to have ever even known that was happening. No, not so, at all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let's talk about, so let's, let's shift. Okay. Because our conversation today is really centered around why do people get stuck? Uh, specifically, why do they have difficulty changing their minds? Right. Not only, and and again, I. It's hard for me not to rely on religion here, and right. specifically my own personal faith journey. Um, so I'm going to see this through the lens of uh, of Christian community. Right. However, I think a lot of it can be applied across the board into other situations. So as we talk about this, please keep that in mind that we're going to be talking about different um, characteristics and personality traits and, and how all of this kind of impacts us. And that's devoid of religion, devoid of religious experience or personal faith. However, that's something that I personally experience. So right. it's clearly going to be something that's important to me. But I think that this rolls right into your religious experience. Yeah. 
and you've been dealing with this for seven seven years it was literally when when what happened the other day happened it was literally the seven year anniversary of it you mean you received critical feedback on our show specifically regarding you on the seventh year anniversary of yes oh, of wow. being kicked out of church mm-hmm. um, okay kicked out kicked out so it was a very difficult time so anyway, I can only imagine. So how? Okay, so let's <laughs> let's break this down though, because the I want to focus on the the topic of our discussion, mm-hmm. which is why do people have difficulty changing their mind? Why do we remain? So this sounds like, and I was curious how long it took, mm-hmm. because I was curious how long it took. I mean, granted, you were forced out, but like, right. how long did it take you to get to that point? What is it that kept you? there and what what is it that's keeping you stuck where you are now well when i was there of course even during all the questioning i'm a very i'm an incredibly loyal person Mm -hmm. and i can tell you that my loyalty has bit me in the ass more times than not (laughs) and uh, yeah and it's that's definitely a downside to it but i am a very loyal person so of course loyalty kept me there for a long long time okay Again, we've talked about this before. Often changing your mind means that you, especially as it relates to anything religious, means that you are basically questioning your faith, your belief system, everything that you think you know about God and spirituality. And so that, you know, we've been basically conditioned to believe is wrong that, you know, you're not supposed to have questions. You're not supposed to have doubts. You know, you will not be moved from your position. That's called faith instead of faith being mystery and wonder, you know, and trust, it, it's become something very different. It's become certainty. Well, and I want to, I want to talk about certainty. Yeah. <laughs> I want to, but I, before I get to certainty, I want to talk about control. I know we've yeah. already discussed control a lot yeah. in, in previous series, but I think that control has a huge thing to deal uh, to play here. Um, whenever oh, I, does start to question or even my journey in self-acceptance of homosexuality, which I'm still battling with. I mean, as I start to change my mind and change those viewpoints, it makes me feel out of control. And I don't like that. No, nobody likes to be out of control. I like to be in control. (laughs) We all do. And I'm a, I'm a very big control freak. So I, I like everything in my world to be the way I want it, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but life just doesn't work that way. Unfortunately, often. So, so control, and then let's talk a little bit about certainty. Yeah, I mean, I think that certainty is huge. This feeling of of knowing that we're right. Yeah, and, it's and a superiority honestly, trip. <laughs> it is, and it feels good when you're yes, in does. that environment. Like when I think about going back to church, and I think about getting back involved. The thing that that I want above it all, more than even acceptance. Is that feeling of certainty back? Yeah, I, I can remember. Yes, I know yeah, it's I can remember but it feels in this, good. No, but you're right. I can remember throughout this process reaching points where it was just so mentally over overwhelming and taxing to me that mm-hmm. I would almost pray and say, "God, please just let me go back to what I used to know," because right. I felt comfortable there. I understood it. It all made sense to me, and yeah, you liked the certainty of what you thought you knew. 
and of course we can't go back. You can't unsee, you know, you can't undo. It's all very much a part of the process. And so you're stuck with that change and that knock against your certainty. And -hmm. it's difficult. It hurts. It's emotionally devastating. Yes. Well, it just shatters everything that we've based our life on for so long. I mean, I, I was raised to believe, you know, uh, in the Christian faith. I was raised to right. believe that God had my back. I was raised to believe that I have a purpose and a mission and a vision, like all of that right. stuff. And then when you start to question this, well, if I question this, then I have to question that too. Right. And, and like we've talked about, it, it's really that domino effect. Absolutely. And when you're and when you're raised with the belief that you have a purpose. Yes. A specific purpose that God has a plan for your life. Jeremiah 29:11. Absolutely. So when Name you're raised when you're raised to believe that and then you begin to question everything and specifically God, suddenly who are you and what are you supposed to be doing with your life? You've lost your purpose. Mm-hmm. It's it's again emotionally devastating. Well, and it just it it really speaks to all of the mental health issues. Yes, that we've does. talked about in previous series. It, yes, it, it all it, this it's all it's all combined. Everything everything affects one, uh, another. Like right. there's no we're not islands um, within ourselves. Right. And and I I do want to mention that that certainty. I mean, the the part of that that I really really liked was the sense of protection and safety. Sure. Because I didn't have to ask questions. No, and again, it's a basic human need to feel that sense of safety and security. We all want that. So yes, you're right. That feeling certain in your belief system makes you feel warm and fuzzy. Unfortunately, and because in the last series, we talked about the shadow side of things. If we were going to pick up a shadow side of this, it would be what I already mentioned, superiority. It's kind of an ego trip. I'm right. You're wrong. I'm above you. I know more than you. And there's there's an ego involved can we keep can i can i follow that can i follow that so in talking about ego and this i'm right you're wrong type of thing what inevitably is created out of that is us versus them because now because now it's not because we don't want to be the ones that are right just by ourselves. We always right. want someone else to back up our beliefs so that we feel justified. So we inevitably then form camps yeah. of my team versus your team. Right. And literally it is the antithesis of Jesus's message. Absolutely. And we're seeing it way outside of religion. Hello, just look at the political scene right now. We do it in every aspect of life because we are tribal by nature. Yes, we are and looking for our tribe, mm-hmm. and we're also very dualistic. We we love those duality situations. It makes us like again. It goes back to feeling like you're on the right side of an issue. It builds up in you this sense of self esteem for your position because I'm right, you're wrong. And as you mentioned, that goes across the board. We're not just talking religion here. We're talking all aspects of life. And yes, it manifests itself most predominantly in religion, politics, things that are very, you know, vocally based in society. Or what? Polarizing. Yes, very polarizing things. Very much so. So it's it's interesting. But if we're going to talk about why that happens, 
because we're not going to just talk about that from a religious perspective. If we're going to talk about things from a psychological perspective, they pertain to things other than religion, obviously. Uh So if we bring in terms like cognitive dissonance, what we're saying is that in every aspect of life, there are things that we hold a belief for that we do not want to know that there's another belief for because we've already decided we have the right belief. Right. And so we distance ourselves. But what ends up happening is we end up with this very big problem internally, you know, on a, on a mental, on a mental level where we're like, well, I can see evidence, but it doesn't match what I believe. So now what am I going to do? I, I've, I have this very big chasm in between what I think and what I know and what yeah. somebody else is saying. And it becomes very problematic as evidenced uh, right now in the political realm. We can see that very, mm-hmm. very strongly. Oh, so. it's, it's seeping. <laughs> I don't get on Facebook right now. <laughs> I know. I'm trying uh, not to often because I just don't have the patience. So, but, but maybe we, let's talk about what cognitive dissonance is. So you have a definition? Well, I mean, I, I, I mean, just off the top of my head, I mean, it's, it's an incongruency between what I, what I know and, and kind of who I think I am. Right. Um, I, you know, I I would say that when I talk about my sexuality and my journey towards self-acceptance and, and being okay with being gay, I mean, that's been the biggest cognitive dissonance I've ever dealt with in my life. Right. Um, my community, my, my Bible, my God, everyone says that this is a sin and that it's impossible to be a Christian and gay. And yet, deep down, I totally know that's what i am um and i totally believe in god so what does that make me um so it's this incongruent it's this incongruency um within ourselves that that really can tear us apart yeah it, it can and what ends up happening of course is that we often push away anything that doesn't match what we already believe because it is so difficult for us uh mentally and it can it can manifest itself into physical symptoms as well uh, you know, I, I, I had somebody share with me the other day, a discussion that they had with their father-in-law in public and mm. the person they were talking about something political. He didn't share with me what the political issue was, but he told his father, I disagree with you. And his father-in-law in public lost it, stood up and started screaming at him. That's it. Mm. I'm cutting you off. I want nothing to do with you anymore. So he had very much a physical reaction based on an idea that he couldn't reconcile in his mind. So it it can be very devastating. And I think we go out of our way to avoid it on a mental level, certainly to the point where we just say, yeah, that's not real. That didn't happen. Yeah. We just shut down. Yeah. We just shut it down. We don't even consider it anymore. Right. Right. We we bury it. Right. That's all a part of cognitive dissonance. So basically it's just an internal psychological struggle. You're just basically at odds with, if we will, you're at odds with the truth. See, I don't, I, I don't want to live there. No, but yeah, I don't think we should. I don't think it's healthy. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to live there. Right. But it's kind of where I'm at. And, yeah. and it, it's difficult at times. Right. Um, I wanted to mention before the cognitive dissonance uh, discussion, mm-hmm. we were talking a little bit around, the us versus them and, mm-hmm. you know, making our camps and all of that. And I just want to mention that when you leave 
or if you leave and you deconstruct, it's not just God that you're leaving. It's also all of the people that you have deemed as always being right. So that's, it it really, in my opinion, it, right. it, It really does something to you psychologically that I think fuels the cognitive dissonance. Yes. Because it's not just your faith. It's your community. It's the foundation by which you've established your life, both socially and spiritually. And, And I think that is what keeps people from stepping out, from asking a lot of questions, is because they they're afraid to deal with that. Yeah, well, and you know, we've kind of already set our our kind of our schedule here. We're going to talk about relationships next week, but that definitely you know is it. that's one of the things that is most devastating about this whole process for most people. Mm-hmm. At least most people that I've discussed, it was for me as well. The the negative effect that it has on your relationships. Yes. Um, and so that's and I know we're talking about that. We're talking about that next, but I, I think that it needs to be mentioned here. Yeah. You know, because I think it plays a, a very vital role. And and then this also, if we kind of take this further, so now we're not only questioning ourselves, questioning God, and then questioning our community, but then there's also this for me, it's compounded by the fear of hell too. So, oh, most definitely, <laughs> it's been used so abusively, yes. specifically to my community, yes. to the you know, to the minority communities in our society. It just, it's just, it's so it, everything compounds upon another. You know, I don't know. The, the fear well, of hell, I just I think mean, that's one of the mentioned. things that I think belongs in this conversation somewhere. And I don't know if it's here or not, or if it's a, a later, you know, con- conversation. Most people are familiar with the idea of post-traumatic stress syndrome or PTSD. We typically liken that to something dealing with military service or, you know, uh, violence in some sort of fashion or whatever. But there is very much a real sense of post-traumatic stress associated with this process as well for a lot of people, depending upon how, how stringent your belief system was about certain things uh, coming out of that can create a very big sense of, of stress and fear. And one of those areas that of course, that keeps coming up under that, under that idea is that of hell. It was for me, I had very much PTSD anxiety episodes associated with that subject matter all throughout the early time of, of deconstructing. So that's something, again, I don't know if that belongs in this conversation or not, but I think that's worthy of a a mention as well, because it's, it's very much a mental and psychological process that is happening for a lot of people. When you are letting go of some pretty violently held beliefs specific to God damning you for eternity to burning moving away from that has the immediate effect of feeling very freeing and very uplifting, Mm -hmm. but then coming close behind it is the idea of, holy shit, what if I'm wrong? Right. And now I've just sealed my faith. And, Mm -hmm. and I literally would have panic attacks, like full on panic attacks. There's, there's literally no way of knowing even if you're in the faith and you believe in heaven and hell and you believe all that stuff, you don't have any actual evidence exactly. of that other right. than other than a, a few verses in scripture, which, by the way, get taken out of context all the damn time. It's hard to ever really know anything I hear about the Bible because people don't look into the hermeneutical background. So right. I just, 
yeah there it's all it's all it's all a guessing game whether you believe it or you don't it's it's a matter of a guess and really more most more than likely you're making that guess based upon other people that you look up to who also believe it well, At least okay, that's how and it then works that brings me. up that brings up another psychological term, if you will, confirmation mm-hmm. bias. All right, let's go. We, there. <laughs> we tend to surround ourselves with the people, um, the the news, if you will, the articles, the podcasts, the whatever that already supports something that we believe, which just further confirms to us that we are correct. I uh, listen to Fox News. <laughs> I oh I challenge myself. <laughs> I sometimes throw things at the TV, but I do do it. I've literally tried. I'm just Honestly, the gym that I'm in right now has TVs all over, and Fox News, is, of course, is on a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And I have stopped numerous times in the middle of working out to go, what the hell? <laughs> and then I think about where I am, and I'm like, I just got to shut my mouth. But I'm like, is this just one long, you know, commercial? <laughs> <laughs> For a certain mindset, I'm confused if this is news or not. Anyway, that's my personal opinion. (laughs) It's not news. Uh, But again, that confirmation bias is a very big, is a very real thing. As a matter of fact, it plays into our life every day, whether you're aware of it or not. It plays into your life if you're on social media at all. They have what is called an algorithm. And based Mm -hmm. on what you click on and the people you're friends with dictates the information that shows up in your newsfeed. It's and if you're on TikTok, they have this on lock. Oh, I'm okay? not on TikTok, so. Oh my, I am in gay TikTok <laughs> except for, land. Except for the videos you send me. <laughs> I am in gay TikTok land, and I am not complaining. They have they have read me up and down. They've got and, you pinned, huh? They yeah, know you, and they all know of my for you videos are gold. Um, uh, their algorithms are intense. I would say better well, than Facebook's. I do try but. to mess those up. I try to typically, I have a lot of friends all along the different spectrums of belief systems, as well as political. I maintain a very large friend list that differs like that on purpose. I actually, if they post things, I will actually go read those things, whether I agree with them or not. I try to educate myself as openly as possible, but I also on some level really hope that that confuses the algorithm (laughs) as to what I really want to see and not see, because I don't want to be hit. I don't want to be pinned down into a certain mindset because if anything, this process has taught me that I need to be much more open and questioning about everything. Um, or otherwise I am going to be locked into that box and I don't want to be stuck there. Um, especially at my own hand through confirmation bias. I just, I don't want to do that. So I mean, I, I understand that. Yeah, I, there's just there's just a lot of it, it, it. I enjoy not always challenging things and kind of of staying well, in my sometimes camp. Sometimes it feels nice I, to to hear what yeah. you already think backed up, of course. Especially recently, just within the way <laughs> the world is operating, I I have a very hard time. Yeah. Um, I'm really kind of seeing the other side on these issues, but I do think that that that's important. Yeah. 
right. that we need to be diversified in our opinions and the people yes. that we listen to um, because we need to be looking at things from multiple angles. We need to be fading to gray, I if agree. you will, finding that middle ground. Um, I think it's absolutely vital, especially right now. And if we're ever wanting to keep any relationships with anybody, like everything is so polarized right now, Yeah, you know, stick your your stake in the sand and it'll it'll be a different world the next day that didn't make any sense but what i mean is you know <laughs> make make your statements now but a month sure. later i i'll ask that it'll again probably because be yeah. it'll probably be but, different but will because you things be able are constantly to admit changing. that it's different now that's that's the real subject that's the real test of the subject because republicans are really struggling with that right now Everybody just struggles saying. with that, I'm just in saying. all honesty. <laughs> I'm just saying. Again, really okay, struggling. see, I, I, I think that you're I think that you're showing a little bit of naive realism right now, is what I no, think. Oh, probably. <laughs> probably. So and, and just in case anybody's unfamiliar with that term, basically that what that means is that you see the way you believe or, or view things as objective truth and everybody else's opinion is subjective. It's not accurate. So it tends to color and it follows right along with confirmation bias and cognitive dissonance and all of these terms. They all kind of meld into one giant. Right. Yeah. They morph into some kind of weird little phenomenon in our mental psyche. (laughs) Now I, I want to, I'm going to check back on something because I want to just really quick touch on the trauma discussion. Um, You mentioned PTSD like symptoms and Mm -hmm. um, did you mention RTS? I don't think you did. did you religious trauma Arthur? syndrome? I did not. Mm-hmm. It's. Uh, I wrote about it, but I didn't mention it in this conversation. No. Well, I think we should mention that yeah, because I, agree. I, I, I think it plays a role both in the aftermath of leaving one's faith, but I think that I, there's just so much involved in religious trauma syndrome that I think plays a valuable role in this conversation. Yeah, so what I do agree. you think? Well, first of all, I want to say... For anybody that's curious, a religious trauma syndrome is not a diagnosable thing. It's not in the DSM-5. Religious abuse is not in there. Oh, so it's like imposter syndrome and it's fake. Pretty much, yeah. It's not fake. Got it. (laughs) As a matter of fact, I know that there's a growing group of people that are adamant that it needs to be included, and I am one of them. Actually, the, the the construct of my doctoral work is along that idea. That, mm-hmm. that I'm hoping helps build into a base that says this needs to be a diagnosable problem. As, and I'm sure, as you know, right now, often in the DSM, any kind of treatment options are often associated. Uh, there's often a religious construct associated saying that this might yes. be something that helps fix. But there is nowhere in there that it says that the religious construct could actually be the problem. And there needs to be. And because too many people are, are dealing with this religious deconstruction phenomenon for it to not be a noticeable problem. And so um, I very much believe in religious trauma syndrome. I think that often, and again, that is also going to be a very subjective thing because what traumatizes me will be different than what traumatizes you. So the mm-hmm. severity of what somebody has experienced is not necessarily the definition of religious trauma that definition comes from the person who's experiencing it, which right. of it course makes it kind of de- nebulous. It can only be defined by the person experiencing yeah. it really, which, which makes it difficult to include it then. And it's something diagnosable because how do you decide what stringent things apply to diagnose it? You know, I, I that that's could be, why 
that can be also i mean i'm a mental health professional i can diagnose but like that can also be involved in other things too like i mean even looking at the depression i mean the definition of depression Mm -hmm. um yes there's some common traits in all of that but i can isolate and choose to isolate it doesn't mean i'm depressed like i don't know but again how do you define what is trauma to somebody well, I mean, but that's but that's true of that's true of the actual definition yeah, right. of trauma. I, I'm just it, looking it at it from the, the religious perspective. Yeah, I'm looking at it from the religious perspective and saying me being kicked out of church was traumatic, but it didn't destroy me. But to somebody else, that could be a much oh. bigger issue. Oh, 100 percent. You and I could, which if we jump on this trauma conversation, you're going to hear <laughs> there's going to be some excite, excitement in my voice sure. because I'm very, very passionate around this topic. In fact, we should do an entire episode we on should. it. But um, legitimately, you and I could be standing next to each other uh, right in front of the grocery store mm-hmm. and we witness a car wreck. You could walk away from that situation being perfectly fine. I could walk away from that situation having nightmares. It truly is individualized. It's not not objective and never has been. So, Which again um, is is another reason why this is a very difficult subject matter to include in in wanting it to be diagnosable because I think it, it, I mean, for most people, I think they would look at the subject matter and they'd say, well, the DSM already covers it basically through trauma. Or through PTSD. As a matter of fact, I don't even, does the DSM, I think it does go into complex D, uh, PTSD. And that is the closest definition that we have to religious trauma syndrome is complex I PTSD. Because basically you are, you are experiencing over and over and over the, the situation that causes trauma to you. So it's, it's multiple trauma attacks, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, On almost every level. Yes. From social to personal to commu- everything right even work yeah it's, it's all in it's all impacted <laughs> everything everything is impacted but again if we're going to talk about why things are difficult what what things make it difficult for you to change your mind i certainly think that the a discussion on trauma or ptsd is is relevant because Absolutely. nobody wants those things no not like you can raise your hand and go yeah i'll volunteer for ptsd i mean nobody's doing that so yeah, you're like, yeah, I'll just stay here in my safe little bubble. It makes no, it makes no sense for me to question and move outside of my, my belief system if that's going to be the result. Well, yeah. And I would also mention that, you know, if the environment in which you're involved in religion and through your faith community is abusive, you know, we're, we're looking at the same stuff with abusive relationships across the board, right? One of the things that we often hear is is women who are in domestic violence situations and won't leave and everyone is upset and angry. And and again, I'm not saying any side there, but that is a that is a thing. Um, I used to work at a domestic violence sh- <laughs> shelter and actually would do domestic violence classes with two with women, um, and this is a common thing. Right. That when you're in that abusive situation, the fear of leaving is just so much greater that yes. we'll stay in it. Well, and not I think only that, that, but it's what you know. Here. That's what you know, right. though. It, it, and so going back to the idea right. of certainty, at least it, even though it's damaging, you know it and understand it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't know if I've shared this example with you before, if not. And it's pretty personal. So I apologize. But 
How dare you? <laughs> well, I grew up in a very physically abusive household. Mm -hmm. There was also verbal abuse, some sexual abuse, but predominantly physically abusive household. Arguments were always settled with acts of violence. Mm -hmm. and, and so as I grew up and I got married, there was an expectation I carried with me into that marriage that if I was going to entertain an argument, I had to also understand that violence was going to be used to settle it. And I would probably be the victim of that violence. That was my understanding. You knew, you knew the consequence. I knew like, the consequence. You knew the consequence. But I also know me and I have a very difficult time keeping my mouth closed when I'm angry about something. So we would get into these arguments. My husband and I would argue and I, and of course he wasn't physically violent with me, and I, I couldn't, my anxiety levels sat so high. I couldn't, I couldn't resolve anything. I couldn't make the situation. Were you hypervigilant? Yes. I, I couldn't relax mm -hmm. without that physical violence, even though I was afraid of the physical violence. So I would agitate and continue to push my husband in order to try and push him towards that level. And he would get so frustrated with me. He's like, I'm not going to do that. Why do you do that? And I said, the only way I can explain this to you is Let's say that you love chocolate shakes. You love them, but you're allergic. Like you're very, very allergic to chocolate. So it's bad for you. You get violently ill if you have it. If you have had a chocolate shake every day of your life, even though you got violently ill and somebody says, oh, you're allergic and shouldn't have them and takes that away, you are still going to crave that chocolate shake. Oh, 100%. Because it's normal. It's what you know. Even though you know you're going to get sick behind it, it's what you know. And so mm -hmm. I think that there is a tendency here to, to want that familiarity, even though there's pain associated with it, because on some level, at least we understand it. And that's the idea in deconstruction of saying, I just want to go back to what I used to know, because at least I understood my place there. Even if it was, even if I believed I was going to hell and that God hated me, unless I performed a certain way, at least I understood the rules. Mm -hmm. You knew the rules of the game. You knew what to spec to expect Correct. the uh, the enemy that you know is better than the enemy that Absolutely. you don't. So again, you're talking about a lot of very psychological process, uh, very psychological processes, processes, however we want to say that, that are going on in the background. They're like programs on a computer running in the background that you're not aware of. Yeah. You don't know that you are stopping yourself from looking at other viewpoints. You don't know that you are choosing to stay in place to avoid pain. You, you don't know these are happening in the background and it's only as you become aware of them that you actually start stepping outside of those constructs and going, hold on. Let's think about this. Um, and, and then of course, once you do that, there's no going back. Unfortunately, I, I hate to say that for anybody that doesn't know that, but <laughs> there's no going back. But Okay. Michelle, it's been seven years. Mm -hmm. It's been seven, yeah, it's years been seven years since you were prayed out. Yeah. Does it get better? You know, you're saying um, it takes a long time. You're saying that it doesn't end, right? That once one domino falls, more than likely the rest are going to fall. But does it get better or is this a life of misery? I don't feel miserable. I wasn't meaning to call you. I wasn't meaning I to say moments. you're miserable. But yeah, I know. being I know. stuck is not. No, no, no. I know. But I, I only have. My, yeah, I only have my experience to draw on, though. I, I can only speak right. for myself. Of course. I have said often that this is a very, very difficult process. It's a very emotionally painful process. And if somebody were to show me this process prior to me experiencing it and saying, this is going to be the outcome, 
but here's what happens. I would still choose it. Mm. And I didn't know that obviously at the beginning of this, but this is a definitely a hindsight perspective that looking back as much as it's hurt, I'm glad for the journey because I've grown as a person, I've changed, I've evolved, and I understand a lot more about myself from a different perspective. I also have reached a place where I really feel like I have the right to say God needs to be better than what I was taught he was. Or he's at the very least not worthy yeah, of worship. That, I really struggle to change my mind on. <laughs> I know. It's very and that's not, that's not lack of that. faith. That's more faith. Um, Too much faith. <laughs> that's not leaving God. That's saying, oh, no, he needs to be better. Yeah, no, I can't. That, no, exactly. What, no, he is what he is. No, he burnt people with sulfur and fire, and he flooded the entire earth and killed an entire population. I, you know, Well, this, yeah. Okay. Oh, Jesus. He's so great. And I understand I just related Jesus to the God of the Old Testament, but technically they're the same, so it's okay. Yeah. Clearly, there are a lot of factors that keep people stuck. There are a lot of things that keep people from changing their minds. And I think at its core, if we break all of this down, I think it comes down to comfortability. (laughs) We... Yes. (laughs) we make a deal with whatever's going to make us the most comfortable. And I think it's a place of being stagnant. And I think that this deconstruction process, if followed through, can push you out of that. (laughs) Yeah. Again, like I said, it's, it's a very daunting place to be. It's, it's difficult to sit and contemplate Hey, I think I'm going to go do something that's going to cause me all kinds of mental pain and emotional Mm -hmm. pain. (laughs) So again, I mean, we said this all along. I don't think this is a process that anybody raises their hand and says, Hey, I think I'm going to go through this. It's something that happens to us. And I think that it happens when we're ready for it to happen. That's why you'll see people at all different ages, you know, different gender, different race, different religious background, because this is not specific to Christianity. This is, this is widespread. People of lots of different faiths have talked about the fact that they started questioning that faith or questioning our life or questioning our politics or, you know, our relationships. It, it plays but, into so okay. many different things. And I understand we've been recording for quite a while now, but <laughs> isn't questioning, I mean, that's natural. That's normal. We're supposed to question ourselves to some degree. That's called being healthy. Sure. So when you say that this is where I'm getting a little like deconstruction equals questioning, I'm like, well, but questioning is Mm -hmm. part of of life. We need to question uh, on an individual level. We need to question. Yes. Should I be friends with who I'm friends with? Should I should I take this job? We need to be asking serious questions. So what what, I'm seeing the equivalency and I'm not liking it. So maybe questioning isn't the best term. Maybe evaluating is. Uh, I mean, because yes, we ask a lot of questions about a lot of things, but how often do we question those things that we typically feel very adamant about? Like I can tell you before this process started that if somebody had told me I was going to question the existence of God, they would have been flat out wrong. 
I wouldn't have even considered it. As a matter of fact, even into a year or two into this process, okay, I didn't this consider is good it. Stuff. So you, we, so when we say questioning, what? Because you just said a very key thing here. It's not just questioning the stuff in our life. It's questioning our firmly held belief systems, and this right. Exp- and, and I believe I, I'm right with Michelle. Our belief systems are not just our faith or our religion. Our belief we have belief systems about no. everything. So, everything. so this is exactly. questioning our deeply rooted belief systems from everything from relationships to personal integrity. Absolutely. And that's and that's it. So it's not just questioning, it's questioning yeah. deeply rooted belief systems. I get it. Right. I mean, it's not as simple as saying, you know, do I want to go to this right. restaurant or that restaurant? And what's the basic qualities of each that would draw me to? I mean, yes, those are questions. That's an evaluation. But do they have a long lasting impact on our life? More than likely not. But the deeply held stuff is often the stuff that we won't question but that we should. And I think that's the point here. And I think that's what this process is. It, it basically forces us into that, into that eventuality of questioning something that I hold deeply to myself as though it were the ultimate of truth, the totality. And I say that often to people, like, I know you think you have the totality of truth right now, but that's kind of egotistical to be honest. And it's just not true. <laughs> None of us can have the totality of truth. As much as we want it. We just can't. It's not exactly. on CNN. <laughs> or Fox well, it's News. It's definitely not on Fox. <laughs> oh, don't make me laugh my ass. Okay, let's see it. I, I don't think there's a news outlet out there that's got it. So <laughs> NPR. Uh, I don't know. I mean, let's think about it. We're still dealing with human beings. So we're still going to be dealing with impressions and, and perspectives. That are regardless of what's at their root is. subjective. There's only so many Absolutely. things in this world that are truly, truly objective. Well, and, and I think that brings up a very good point, especially as it pertains to religion or God or spirituality. We can have an idea that we can believe that there is objective truth. And I do believe there is objective truth. I just think that I see it subjectively. <laughs> and I have no choice but to see it that way because I can't know it all and I can only see it through my lens. Your own lived experience. So, Exactly. So that's what this all comes down to is stepping outside of your learned experience, stepping out from behind your lens and viewing someone else, others perspectives. Yeah. Yeah. Which is difficult. It's a challenge. And I think that's why (laughs) it's not comfortable. (laughs) I think that that's why this makes for a good conversation. I think it's why so many books have been written. I think it's why so many people left the church clearly. And, and, and I see, I related it back to religion because it's the lens. I know I kind of talk out of both sides of my mouth a little bit, but I I really think that we, we broke this down um, pretty sufficiently. I mean, however, I think I could probably talk for another hour. Easy. Oh, yeah, there's so much more that can be said about all of this. I mean, even taking a month to have this discussion is not even close to the amount of time that needs to be said because there's just so much to this discussion. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. But we're going to (laughs) be... So we'll do it the best we can. (laughs) Trying. We're going to be talking um, next week uh, about relationships, which is going to kind of roll right off of this. Um, and I think actually this conversation can just flow. I think it, I think it, yeah. they literally are going to go hand in hand and I'm looking forward to it. 
Me too. I think that we should, um, we should probably mention that we are considering, at least I think we're still considering the idea of having some of these conversations specifically about this subject matter as separate materials available to our Patreon supporters, where we get a little more real about the conversation, a little bit more real about the experience as it pertains to each of us personally. And, uh, maybe even go a little bit more into detail into some of the circumstances that surrounded our own deconstruction, if you will, or question. So essentially the main podcast, you're going to get content around topics, right? But if you really are wanting to get to know Michelle and I and kind of know our stories, you'll want to, you'll want to jump in um, and become a Patreon of mental. Um, And by becoming a Patreon, um, you will receive Um, those um, special episodes. It's bonus content, and we're only going to be releasing that um, to our Patreon members. So if that is something that you are interested in, please feel free to check us out. Um, We are on Patreon under Mental Podcast. Yep. All Um, right. Well, I don't know if we did justice to the subject, but... I think we did. We threw out a bunch of stuff. We definitely (laughs) did. And and one one last (laughs) thing... I'm also mentioning in addition to the bonus content that may be released, um, I really do want to encourage you and let you know that there is a mental Facebook group and you can, and I always include that on all of the um, Facebook ads that we put out for our episodes. Um, I will also include that in the show links. Um, And so if that is uh, something you'd be interested in, um, please feel free to join it. It is not the most active yet, but I have a plan. So I have a plan. (laughs) So stick with us and we look forward to catching up next week. We invite people of all backgrounds to share their stories, their nuanced conversations and forward thinking and not taking ourselves too seriously. Everyone's story matters. Every voice is important. Life is polarizing. But not everything is black and white. Come join us as we fade to gray. Fade to Gray is available anywhere you listen to podcasts. Head on over to fade to gray for more information.